you are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture reading today is from Mark 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Amen. Amen. Great to see you all today. Thank you for being here at the 1130 service. It's the right service. It's a great time. My name is Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here. And again, if you're just joining us, welcome uh, online on our podcast here, of course, here in the room. Uh, As you can see, we're moving through the gospel of Mark, the life of Jesus and the account that Mark gives us. And as we've been going, if you didn't know, we've sort of divided the book up. You're going to see this into a kind of a trilogy. And so today marks the last moment, the final scene in act one. We've been calling that uh, Jesus, the man who acts, because Mark shows us someone who's come into the world to act on purpose, with a purpose. Uh, Jesus has come to show us things about ourselves, about spiritual reality, uh, about the human heart we never could have seen on our own. And so today we're going to look at one of those things. Uh, As a pastor... I get all kinds of emails all the time from all kinds of people, including you, by the way. Uh, you know, this, uh, all kind of different people, all kind of different groups and organizations and companies, and they find me because my email address is just sort of out there, maybe like yours is, and I don't mind getting stuff because normally, you know, hey, it could be interesting, right? And not too long ago, it's something, something interesting I got in my email. I opened up my email, and there it was. There was this invitation to come speak at this ministry conference overseas. It was in another country, and they went on and on in the email about how much they wanted me to come, about how much they've been following you guys, our church. I was like, wow. And how much they, you know, they, they love me and, and how huge this ministry conference was going to be. And they said, listen, we'd love for you to come. Uh, and, and I was like, man, amazing. Like, you guys, you want me? How nice of you. And so they said, yeah, we'll, we'll pay for your expenses. We'll even give you an honorarium. All you have to do is give us your social security number (laughs) and your banking information, and we will take care of everything. (laughs) Oh, I thought, I bet you will. You will. You'll take care of me real nice, you know? Well, what do you you call that? What was I wading into right there? Here's here's my word for it. In the the words, sorry, uh, of that guy in Star Wars, it's a trap. Right? It's a trap. It, it was, that was a trap. And, and that got me thinking, that trap got me thinking about all the different ways we can fall into traps in our everyday lives here. And I got a few of these I was thinking about it. For example, uh, for those of you who are single here, and you, one of your, let's say your best friend says they've got someone they really want you to meet. 
and the person they want you to meet, they, but they, you know, they, they're a great person, but they've been going through this really hard time in life, and they just got out of a really traumatic breakup, but they want to set you up with them. What do you call that? That's a trap. That's right. Uh, it's a trap. Uh, for those of you who are parents, you've got small children. When you're a four-year-old, ask you to play chutes and ladders or Candyland. Yeah, tell me that's a trap, right? Why? Because, you know, if you say yes, <laughs> Luke Smith, that's a trap. It's a two-hour commitment to strategic rearrangement of the pile while your kid isn't looking so you can arrange for them to win and not cry. Uh, t- how about this, teenagers, your teen, uh, when you're at dinner uh, and your parent, asks, your parent asks you, have you had any fruits or vegetables to eat today? What's that? That's a trap. Why? Because if you say yes, you're lying. And if you say no, well, then you're going to get a plate full of what? Brussels sprouts and kale salad. That's in your future. Oh, how about this one? When you walk into Target only needing three things. Actually, let's just check that. When you walk into Target at all, what's that called? That's a trap. Why? Because I don't care how many times they tell you you're going to save 5% with the red card right? Uh, 5% off of 30 things is still 100% more than you were going to spend on three things or anything. And I could keep going. Why? Because, of course, there are lots of things in life that, that, are, that are humorous like that, that are sort of funny traps, or you, they're laugh-offable, some of them. You can see coming, and you think, oh, I'll be fine, or, or you, 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 get it, you get caught, and you can recover, uh, you know, or, or find your way out, lesson learned. But there are other moments, I think we all know this, other situations, other systems, other areas uh, in our heart that we get caught up in, we get snared in that aren't as funny, that can have challenging, negative, maybe even permanent consequences. And one of those things, one of those areas, one of those traps, Jesus came to talk about, to show us, and even to get us out of, and he came to show us there is a trap that each of our hearts is tempted to fall into, even to perpetuate, maybe even to drag others into, unless, unless, and until it's healed by Jesus himself. So what's that trap? Well, what's that trap? Well, let's go looking and digging in Mark chapter 3 to find out. When I ask three questions, try to answer them in our passage. First, we're going to ask, well, simply, what's the trap? What is it? Second, we're going to ask, try to answer, how does Jesus expose it? How does he show us where it is? And three, how does Jesus heal us? There's a trap. Jesus exposes it, and he can heal us from it. Let's see how all that works. Let's go here. Mark chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Well, what's the trap here? Let's get right to it. The trap, this trap, is the trap that every human heart is tempted to and even falls into at some point in life. And here it is. It's the trap of religion. The trap of religion. You say, that's it? Yeah, that's it. We're going to see what it is. Because before you say, well, Morgan, that's not really me. I'm not a religious person. I'm not just a uh, skeptic, Morgan. I'm like a super skeptic. I used to mess around with that church stuff. I don't really believe it anymore. Somebody brought me here today. Of course, if that's you, thank you so much for being here. So glad uh, that you're here. Or on the other hand, before you say, Morgan, I've been a Christian all my life. 
been coming here to Mosaic for a long time. This trap couldn't possibly, a trap of religion couldn't possibly be something I fall into. Before you go either way, just hang with me because I think there's something here you ought to see first. Now, the way of putting it would be to say this. Let's let Jesus be the judge of that. Back to our story. Jesus here, he's walking into a synagogue. It's a Jewish worship gathering, it says, on what? The Sabbath day. And the Pharisees were there. They were this powerful, influential, first century religious Jewish faith group. Is that enough adjectives for you? A Jewish faith group. They were there and they were asking this question among themselves. Will there be a healing on the Sabbath? Will there be a healing on the Sabbath? That's their question. Why are they asking it? Well, the Sabbath, the day of rest, you may know, was one of the Ten Commandments. It was a command given by God, a law of God given by God to the Israelites, the Jewish people, centuries before this at Mount Sinai, after they had been freed from slavery in Egypt, uh, to prove in part that they weren't slaves anymore. So the day of rest was a good thing. The day of rest is a good thing. You should take one, by the way, if you haven't recently, and you could say amen to that one. But over the years, and here's the irony, what was meant to be something that created human freedom had fallen back and become something that created a kind of human slavery. And here's how. Because over the years, the Pharisees had taken this one law and added 39 additional laws to it, things that you could not do on the Sabbath. For example, like picking grain, which Jesus had just done in this previous chapter on purpose. He acted (laughs) into their little system there. So they've already come into the synagogue preheated, preagitated, preirritated Adam, watching to see what he would do. And the Pharisees took the rest of the commandments and they added literally hundreds of other commands to those commandments. It was collectively called the tradition of the elders. And you see Jesus critiquing this at another point. But let's just ask the question. What was this law? What was the Sabbath for in the first place? What was the day of rest all about? Well, at its core, the Sabbath is about this word, restoration. It's about renewal. It's about healing of tired bones, tired families, tired backs, tired communities. The Sabbath is about the honoring of humanity and an aiming of humanity at the way things ought to be. But are the, so excuse me, so when Jesus, and we'll look at it in a minute, when Jesus, when he heals the man with the shriveled hand, what's he doing on the Sabbath? Well, he's doing the very thing the Sabbath was made for, right? Restoration, renewal, returning people, this man, to the way things ought to be. But are the Pharisees excited about this? The answer is No, you seem unsure. The answer is no, actually. They are not excited about this at all. They're nervous. They're anxious. Uh, They're insecure. They're judgmental. They're mean. All they can do is ask, will there be a healing? When? On the Sabbath. Yeah. So let's just go ahead and acknowledge that spiritually speaking, this is about as clear as it gets when it comes to the phrase, missing the forest for the trees. Because the very one who make, is making the Sabbath, what the Sabbath was supposed to be all along, walks into the room, makes the Sabbath what it's supposed to be, and all they can do is critique, criticize, judge, condemn. Why? They are caught in the trap of religion. 
Why is this? Here it is. Because they have turned a good thing, which in this case is morality, a good thing in this case, which is the law of God, into an ultimate thing, which is how I define my worth and how I prove I am right with God. And you know this from just living life, that it's a really short step from moving from how I prove I am right with God to how I prove I am better than you. Prove better than you. And that's when the human heart goes towards critique, criticism, judgment, condemnation. Now, of course, it's super easy to see this going on in religious circles and even church circles, Christian church circles. Now, some religions are more obvious about it than others. Uh, some religions are nationalistic. They say this religion is for our own people from our own nation because we are superior somehow. Some religions are ethnocentric. They're only for people of a certain ethnic background. Some are more spiritualistic, like you've got to progress through higher levels of consciousness to go to this advanced state, but they are all based on the same religious principle. That person is accepted, that I'm accepted, I'm good because I obey, or I do, which is another way of putting, I'm accepted and good because of me. Because of me. In other words, religion, believing that I'm accepted, I'm good because of what I've done or haven't done, hear this, always produces a kind of Pharisee. A couple of years ago, I was having coffee with a young man who's from a different faith background, not a, not a Christian, and he was exploring the claims of Jesus. And he and I were having this great conversation. We were moving through this great book all about Jesus, all about the, the gospel of Christ, what it means, how to follow Jesus. And he was, seemed to be loving it, seemed to be moving towards faith in, in Christ. When, on this day, he showed up for our coffee meeting, super irritated, you can see it on his face, super agitated, and, and, and he walks in and, and he said this to me, basically started off the conversation. Morgan, I liked Jesus until last night. I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, like, did Jesus like break in your house? I mean, did he like steal your stuff, kick your dog? You know, what did he do? He said, no. He said, I just read last night about what Jesus says about forgiveness. Jesus says, I must forgive my enemies if I'm going to follow him. And I could never be a Christian, he said, because there are bad people who have done bad things to me. They've hurt me. And I will not forgive them. Hmm. Now, of course, I appreciate his honesty. Glad he's bringing that up. He's bumping up against something there, isn't he? I'm not dismissing his pain by any means, nor yours, if that's you're in the same place. What was he showing me? I think, I think he was showing, it's a great case study. He's showing me the same thing that's inside me same thing inside you. He's showing me the little Pharisee inside that says, I am good because I haven't done that. Because I haven't thought like that. I haven't, uh uh-oh, haven't voted like that, right? They are bad because they did that, thought that, voted that way. I am over here. They are over there. See, through the religion of any kind, religion of politics, religion of fitness, religion of finances, of faith systems. Through that, we humanize ourselves and we demonize others. Humanize ourselves, demonize others. But let me ask you, how could a Christian think like that? Because Christians are not people who are accepted by God because of what they have done in their own strength. Because come on, come on, who could obey the law of God flawlessly? 
But the core of the gospel message is that we, if you're a Christ follower, you're a person who has been supernaturally, freely accepted by a sheer gift of grace from God Almighty through Jesus Christ. And therefore, now we lovingly and gladly obey him. That's number one. Didn't get a lot of amens, but that's okay. There's more to come. I'm working hard up here. Maybe I can squeeze one out of you before we're done. That's the trap of religion. I'm good with God, the gods, others, or myself because of what I do. Because of me. How does Jesus expose this in our hearts? All right, let's look and see how Jesus exposes it. He came to act to show us this. So, so how does Jesus expose it? Number two, well, the Pharisees, of course, have their question. And now it's Jesus's turn as well. He's got a question. Here's what he asked. Verse four. Then Jesus asked them, which is, look at this word, lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. Of course they did because it was a trap for them too, right? (laughs) But after Jesus asked this question, then he heals this man on the Sabbath. Look at what happens. Look at the different kinds, the spectrum of hearts that are angry with Jesus. Look at this. Verse six. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, who are these people? This seems new in Mark's gospel. Well, we've met the Pharisees or the, the, the moralistic religious people, but the Herodians were just the opposite. The Herodians were the ones who supported Herod, who was the Roman governor of Judea. See, when the Romans came in, they not only conquered, but here's your word for the day. The Romans Hellenized. Hellenized, they brought in the, the sexually uh, loose, so to speak, morally liberal, religiously pluralistic views of Greek culture, and they forced those views on those they conquered. They Hellenized them. And the Herodians were the ones who supported all of that. So let me frame these two groups now in a different way in light of our current, uh, current political climate and season. The Pharisees, broadly speaking, were the leaders of the red states. <laughs> the Herodians, broadly speaking, were the leaders of the blue states. On one side, I hope you'll see, you've got, again, broadly speaking, the commandment-keeping, morally conservative religious group. They chafe under secular culture. They call for a return to a better morals and a different, better time in their minds. And on the other hand, you've got the cynical, progressive, liberated folks who see it's their job to try to erode religious fundamentalism, morality, conservatism, where they find it. You've got conservatives on one hand and liberals on the other. But do you see what's happening here? Come on. Both sides want to get rid of Jesus. Why? Because both sides at their core, they're deeply exposed by and offended by the gospel. Because both sides, I'm trying to show you this, both sides are religious in their own way. Here's what this means. On one hand, Jesus offends the conservatives in the room with this question here by implicitly claiming authority over the Sabbath. As in, he's the one who determines what the law is all about. In the passage right before this, in the Mark chapter 2, Jesus actually says, he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What's he telling them? He's telling them this. I'm the Lord. The Sabbath isn't. Obeying the Sabbath can't save you, but the one who made the Sabbath can. Being faithful to your wife won't save you. But the one who made marriage can. See, see, the point of obeying God isn't to get something from him, to manipulate him. 
that's religion, but to gladly obey him because he has saved you. Come on, in spite of what you've done. He saved you. Come on, in spite of who you are. And on the other hand, he offends all the liberals in the room by affirming that God has actually moral laws at all. That you you should keep, like keeping the Sabbath, like being faithful to your spouse. He affirms the law of God is binding. See, but the upright, religious, moral person says this. The good, moral people are in, and the bad, immoral, dirty people in Hollywood and in America are out. Of course, we're the good ones. It's convenient, right? But the secular progressive person says those closed-minded, moralistic people with their traditional values on marriage and sex, those are out, they're out. And the open-minded, tolerant people like us are in, are in. But the secular progressive person, I hope you'll see this, is just as deeply religious as the conservative moral person because they use their own standard of behavior, own standard of right and wrong to feel good about themselves and therefore accepted by others. And of course, in Austin, Texas, in particular, you know this, we live in a place where we do this, people do this all the time. In Austin, we can be so self-righteous about all those self-righteous people. Aren't you glad we're not self-righteous like them? Aren't you glad we're not judgmental about judgmental people? Aren't you glad that we don't look down our noses like they look down their noses at the people? Oh my gosh. (laughs) But what do you do? What do you do with someone who exposes everybody's hearts like Jesus? I mean, the Pharisees and the Herodians both wanted to kill him. The conservatives and the liberals of the day both hated him. Because the gospel of Jesus isn't inherently conservative and it's not inherently liberal. It doesn't fit into the religion of Fox News. It doesn't fit into the religion of MSNBC or CNN. If it did, it would be a human invention. But because it's not invented by humans, and you ought to be glad about this, but it's given by God Almighty, above culture, above time, above national boundaries, ways of thinking. It's in a different category altogether, and it somehow manages to offend everyone, kind of like you, maybe feeling about me right now. It just shows us everybody worships something in their own way to justify themselves. How do you respond to someone like this? N.T. Wright, Christian theologian, puts it like this. He asks the question, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that fire has become flesh, that life itself became life and walked in our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world or it's a sham, a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. So what do we do if we find we're caught at all in some kind of religion, some way, somehow, somewhere? What do we do? Well, a better question, I think, to ask is this. Number three, how does, how can Jesus heal us? Put it like this. Jesus heals us through a standing and through a stretching. A standing and a stretching. We'll look at each. First, Jesus says to the man with a shriveled hand, he says, stand up in front 
of everyone. This is on purpose. What's this mean? Well, as the one who's already speaking in the synagogue, Jesus would have already been standing. He would have already been visible, already been distinct from the crowd. So in telling this man to stand up, he's saying to this man, you identify with me. You identify yourself with me first, not with a religion first or a way of thinking or your categories, but identify as mine. You identify with me, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, the one who can give you the deep REM sleep of the soul you're longing for, but can't get on your own through religion. Stand with me and leave behind every trap you've fallen into. See, the first step, first step towards the healing of the human heart is to identify with Jesus to say Jesus alone is my righteousness Jesus alone is my rest Jesus alone is my virtuoso performance before God I could never do or be or accomplish on my own I'm standing with him I ask you have you done this have you stood and identified with Jesus first but second Jesus also says a second thing To the man with the shriveled hand, he says this, stretch out your hand. So far, we've seen the Pharisees have a question. We've seen Jesus has a question. And now I think this man here is asking his own kind of question. I think he's asking here, what will Jesus do to me? What will he do to me? What will happen to me if I do this thing? What will happen to me if I obey Jesus in this way? If I stretch myself out, make myself vulnerable, show people this part of me, maybe I didn't want to show them. Oh, well, let's think about it. What was Jesus after here? Come on. Only this man's total restoration, only his total healing, only the giving back of what had been lost through the fall. And the same is true when it comes to following Jesus. The same is true when it comes to obeying him in any area, though we may not understand why. We ask, do I have to obey you? We ask, why am I, should I do this? For Jesus, what you are asking me to do doesn't make sense. Oh, but look what happens right here. When this man, when he stretches out and he does what Jesus tells him to do, when he obeys Jesus, he's healed. He's healed. Oh, but, and this is crucial to see, It isn't his obedience that heals him. That's religion, right? But Jesus alone heals him. The power of the Son of God, the power and the grace and the gift of sheer mercy of Jesus of Nazareth heals him. And yet, if this man doesn't obey, he'll never receive what Jesus has for him. Let me tell you, when Jesus tells you, asks you, commands you to obey him, to follow him, stand up for him in some way, he only has your best in mind. This man's obedience positions himself for the miracle. Man's obedience positions himself for a miracle. And so will yours. And you can know this is true as always because anything Jesus ever asks you to do, hear me, he's already done first. Jesus came. Didn't he stand up first on this planet? Yes. Didn't he identify himself with his heavenly father? He stood up. He spoke out against evil, against the religion for the poor. And because he did this, both the Jews and the Romans stretched out Jesus' arms, Christ's arms on that cross. And he hung between heaven and earth for our our rescue, our forgiveness, our salvation, our escape from religion. He obeyed his heavenly father perfectly so that the blessing due him could pass to us so that we could stand and identify with him and stretch out in faith and loving obedience. 
You may know that my, my wife, Carrie, I'll close, close with this story. My wife, Carrie, uh, recently had her first book published. Yeah, it's a book all about, but thank you for clapping. Appreciate that. First service did not, but it's okay. I like, I like, they weren't excited about it, but you are. I appreciate that. Um, we're, they're not readers, but uh, that's okay. It's cool. It's a book all about belonging and identity through the lens of the gospel. And it's really cool this has happened. Of course, it's fun for us in the Stevens home. But what's most meaningful of all for me is not just that it's happened, but it's how it's happened. It's her journey along the way. I want to share it with you briefly. About a number of years ago, it started when Carrie and I had taken this little trip together. Uh, we'd taken a trip and had a lot of fun, a lot of great times. And maybe you've had a trip like this with a, a friend of yours or with, or with your spouse if you're married. Had this great trip, a lot of fun. And on our way home, as we were sitting there, we got on the plane to come home, and she started to cry. Yeah, the whole thing seemed like a trap for me. You know, like, great trip, lots of fun, crying wife. What did I do wrong, right? I mean, that's what you think. Well, it turned out that all those good things that week stirred up a lot of bad things in her heart, all these feelings and emotions and things that had happened to her that she had repressed and pushed down. And as she was sitting in that seat on that plane, she couldn't hold it back anymore, and she began to cry. And I watched her literally fall into a depression on that plane. And it didn't stop when we got home, and months and months and months she was there, and she couldn't bounce back until she said, all right, I'm going to stand up. In her own way. I'm going to be vulnerable before God. I'm going to go to some counseling. I'm going to get some help and some therapy, which in some religious circles you just don't do. Uh, because that represents a bad Christian or a bad pastor's wife, if that's her in your mind. Because like the pastor's wife is supposed to be practically perfect in every way. But she said, who cares? I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to go get some help. And I don't care who sees. So she went and she went and she went. And then for a while, uh, things got worse. Which isn't how the story's supposed to go, right? Because you read this thing, you're like, I stand up, I get my healing, but that didn't happen. And so she was left with a lot of wrestling for years, a lot of questioning, a lot of hard work to do. And then, then she felt, she felt like God said, I want you to start writing. Writing as a sort of a means of uh, therapy. And so she's like, kind of like this man in this story, she sort of stood up and said, I'm going to do this blog and start writing. Here's my thing. And she kept at it for years and years and asking the same question I think this man asked, maybe you're asking today, what does Jesus want to do with me? What does he want to do with me? What's he going to do with me? And this little dream then began to bubble up in her heart and she felt the Lord tell her to stretch out and to write a book. And for years she labored and she toiled and she tried to write this thing and do all the things they tell you to get a platform and basically to prove yourself and to heal yourself. But it didn't work and she was beyond discouraged. And at one point she looked up and she said, God, if this is going to happen, you are going to have to make it happen. You're going to have to do it. Because not only, God, can I not make it happen myself. God, I am sick of trying to prove my worth through what other people say about me. She said, I quit. What was she quitting? Not God. Not her writing. Look at this. In her own way, it was her own version of religion. Proving her worth through herself see but after that then she had that moment that, that, that thing God saved me and somehow everything began to turn around and fall in place and pick up steam and now 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 flash forward all the bookstores that she used to drag her screaming toddlers out of in shame because she broke the Thomas the train display or whatever they got in there the same bookstores carrying her book on their shelves it's amazing yeah it's amazing but here's the thing of it here's the beauty of it. what I want to show you as much as that was her lowest moment that was really her best moment. The moment where any human beings can be their best moment. The moment where you ask God, would you save 
me. If you say, God, I can't do this, because in her own way, Carrie was standing up at God's command. In her own way, she was stretching out that shriveled place in her heart. Maybe you've got one today. Shriveled place, shriveled dream, shriveled marriage, and you're just holding this thing out and asking God for help. And guess what? In that place, she's been healed. Now, it's not because she had a book published, because what would it have meant if that hadn't happened? Would God love her any less? Would Jesus be any less her savior, her rescuer, her salvation? No, 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 no. And I don't tell you this because I think the same thing's going to happen to you. Like God's a genie that you rub the bottle and he comes out. That's religion, right? Nor is he a formula you figure out. That's religion. Nor does he do what you want because you manipulated him through your own morality deal. Listen, if you control God, that's religion. Religion is what Jesus came to heal in us. Some of you, I think... Maybe you need to stand up today. Stand up and identify with Jesus first today. Be freed from some kind of trap you find yourself in. Some of you need to stretch yourself out. Be vulnerable. Take a risk. Show God. Show someone else that shriveled place, shriveled dream, shriveled life, and trust him for what he might do. Canadian author Bruxy Cavey wrote a, a tremendous book a few years ago. It's called The End of Religion. And in it, he describes a fictional conversation between a first century Roman and a first century Christ follower, a Christian conversation goes like this. The first century Roman comes up to the Christian and says, hey, hey, I see a, you're a, this, a faith person. You worship, but I don't see you going to temple. Where? Where's your temple? The Christian says to the Roman, well, actually, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. The Roman says, well, that's kind of strange. Well, you know, who's your priest? I mean, who, like, who mediates between you and God? And the Christian says, well, we don't have a priest. Jesus is our priest. And the Roman says, well, that's kind of strange. Well, then who does your sacrifices? How do you appease the gods? And the Christian says, well, we don't have a priest. Jesus is our priest. He's our sacrifice. He's the one who's become our sacrifice. And the Roman says to the Christian, well, what kind of religion is that? The Christian says, it's no kind of religion at all, at all. That's what Jesus came to end, to free us and heal us. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.